electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. A good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Mike Santoli. Jim Cramer is the morning off. Future steady as the market continues to wrestle with the reopening inflation scarcity conundrum. We've got earnings from Zoom and HPE to work with. Lots of news in the auto and retail space. The roadmap begins with AMC's Me Madness, though. Shares set to soar yet again at the open as the company looks to engage directly with its retail shareholders, giving free popcorn. Ah, yes, free popcorn. Plus, Elon Musk's Twitter trouble, the the SEC reportedly says the Tesla CEO violated his settlement agreement. And what's the future for stay-at-home stocks like Zoom Video? The company reporting blowout earnings but warns of a slowdown coming. Carl. Guys, got to start with AMC, whether we like it or not. Uh, me madness really is uh, is the appropriate term, uh, David, because whether it's about Mudrick uh, being in or out, uh, this downgrade of IMAX and Cinemark today out of Goldman, it does appear that Adam Aaron has incredible situational awareness and is leaning into this Reddit crowd. Yeah, he is leaning into it. I think his his contention would be pretty simple as you take a look at some of the uh, work from Goldman, of course, where they're talking about a box office recovery you know, not going to be as strong as people think because, of course, things, something we've talked about endlessly here, the shortening of that window and changing behaviors in terms of consumers. But when it comes to Mr. Aaron, I think it's pretty simple from his point of view, which is I used to have an institutional shareholder base. I had large shareholders, uh, uh, for example. Uh, well, you know, Dali and Wanda being the largest of them, uh, controlling shareholder for a while, but large institutional shareholders. Now I don't. Now they're gone. Now my shareholder base is retail. It's people on Reddit. Uh, it's uh, it's others, but it's retail. And I need to communicate with the owners of the business. And the best way to do that may be through this new connect uh, platform that they're putting together where you're going to get some free popcorn. If you uh, if you do connect with the AMC Investor Connect uh, or through Twitter, where he's been a lot more active lately, not that he didn't know how to operate on mm-hmm. Twitter. Of course, remember, he ran the 76ers quite some time back, but he was pretty active on the platform back then, and he's active on it again. But, guys, what's amazing, of course, is just the move in the stock itself. Yeah. You're at $39, Mike. We're talking, what, $16, $17 billion? No, it's about $20 billion. It's a nice, nice and handy because yeah. it's half a billion shares now. Now we're at half a They're billion They're basically shares. maxed out at half a billion shares. you, you got to keep track every day because, right, last week yeah. was only 450 460 maybe 470 Well, there was, there was 450 and then they had the $43 million at-the-money offering. I'm not sure that was reflected in the count. I believe right. it's basically half a, million, half a billion I think you shares. May, I think that may be right. So, and in know, fact, the Mudrick slug was made a bit might have been the end of the authorization. Remember, they were going to have how a much stock shareholder vote issue. to authorize more new issuance. They right. pulled that proposal. Right. Uh, but yeah, so it's like to call it twenty billion. And by the way, that's not including debt. So that's, that's not right. enterprise about value. About ten billion in debt. Yeah, and we've got about they got about ten billion in debt. And don't forget, yesterday I was making the point that Mudrick was a beneficiary, given it owns at least we think still probably around two hundred million dollars. Of debt. By the way, they did ex- extremely well at Mudrick when they were the first to sign up for a $100 million 
for a $100 million uh, debt offering, 15% that paid 15%. That was long before the meme thing took off. But when this company's future truly was in question in terms of at least its ability to avoid bankruptcy, and they did help there, uh, Mudrick, by getting in and showing others the water was at least safe in their opinion. 15% will help you do that. But to his credit, Mr. Aaron was able to raise a lot more capital back then. And then since the, this madness has taken place, they've raised an enormous amount of capital through equity offerings, as you yeah. point out. Uh, but, Carl, uh, you know, yesterday I thought, was there anything, you know, was it Mudrick may have been a seller? And obviously they did well, not nearly as well as if they had just held on to the stock for another 24 hours, probably <laughs> left 70 million bucks on the table. But it appears everybody, you know, did benefit. They made money. Their debt position gets helped. And obviously the company itself is able to raise even more equity. Yeah, you could say the same thing about the uh, uh, the CMO, who, uh, according to the wires last night, sold 15,000 shares in the open market, uh, but clearly probably sitting on some sizable gains. It is interesting, though, guys, uh, the degree to which we're separating the price action from the actual business. Goldman's point on Cinemark and IMAX, Mike, is that um, they're getting cannibalized by a shorter theatrical window. Uh, obviously, studios are distributing through multiple channels. Consumer behaviors, Goldman believes, have truly changed in the pandemic. And eventually that's going to reflect in attendance, whether we like it or not. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a really vivid picture of uh, this sort of collision or disconnect, call it, between evaluating the business and what the stock has done in the life that it's taken on. Um, AMC as a company was basically saved because the stock went viral. I mean, that's what happened. And so the only way to keep it going is, based on Adam Aaron's calculation, to keep it viral and to basically make it uh, kind of play to the masses and, and allow this to, to, to kind of keep this self-perpetuating thing as long as it lasts. Now, maybe they can't directly go back and sell more common shares because they don't have the authorization. But down the road, uh, it's going to help if the stock uh, stays higher. But it has very little to do with what's happening in the business. They're still burning cash. They're probably going to be burning cash for a while uh, right now. And I also wonder, like, it's almost the point. The, the, the fact that it has nothing to do with the fundamentals is almost the point of why these things go viral. It's a kind of we're going to get the man, whether it's a valid thing or not. So $20 billion in the grand scheme, the market cap of AMC right now, in the grand scheme of you know, kind of misallocated capital, if you want to call it that. Is it really that big? No. Right. Zoom's down 40 billion from the peak price. Right. Snowflake's down 40 billion. Theoretically, that was 40 billion dollars. It shouldn't have been in that company. And here we have 20. And if people know that it's kind of like play money on steroids, that's what it is for a while. Yeah. I mean, what Apple's market cap is 100, 100 fold. What right. uh, that 20 billion, just to put it in perspective, yeah. Apple moves, you know, Apple moves a couple of points you're talking about. Uh, losses of market value, not quite that much, but but close. But at the same time, you know, it's interesting to me, Mike, the idea that the CEO is choosing to communicate with his new shareholder yeah. base. And the question really is, do any of them actually care about anything that he might say in terms of the underlying fundamentals? It's not clear to me that I mean, what, it's about that. It's about it's about them continuing, as you say, yeah. which was started with GameStop, sort of bring it, taking it to the man at 20 percent of the stock is still short. Uh, yeah, less report. It's yeah, more, more or less impossible to borrow. You're yeah. not going to be able to, you know, pay for it or want to. But yeah, that that's still out there. Ninety plus million shares, maybe. No, so this crazy option stuff going on. I mean, yesterday was a lot of volume in the weekly options that only pay off if the stock gets to seventy. I mean, you know, people are just really uh, it's it's kind of like lottery tickets and people are paying a premium for them. That's just the way the you know the the game kind of goes. 
uh, at this level. You know, uh, Carl, though, one thing is Adam Aaron Adam Aaron's going to have to be careful on Twitter. You don't want to be overly promotional. You don't want to say and give sort of a sense. And that, of course, takes us to our next story in some ways, because we do know a CEO who has been accused of being overly promotional when it comes to his stock, which obviously has a far larger market cap. Yeah, uh, the Journal today, guys, uh, reports that um, uh, the SEC told Tesla uh, that Elon Musk had violated the requirement that his tweets be approved by company lawyers. It happened twice, once in 2019 and once last year. The requirement was part of a, a 2018 settlement, which you might remember. All of this was obtained by the Journal through some FOIA requests. So far, no response from Musk uh, on, on Tesla or Tesla. Uh, but there's other news as well. Uh, there is a recall of about 6,000 cars, guys, on some potentially uh, loose bolts. The reports that, he's ha- that Tesla's having, Mike, to increase its spending in Australia on raw materials for batteries to over a billion dollars a year. And then Musk himself tweeting about the shortage uh, in uh, car components, saying he's never seen anything like it compared it to the, the, the run on toilet paper last year on an epic scale, he said, but then eventually ended the tweet by saying it's obviously not a long term issue. Right. And I'm sure that's true. Uh, Is is it a long enough term issue that it's going to compromise production estimates for this year for for Tesla? That's one of the questions. Um, Is Tesla, you know, front of front of the line? I mean, a lot of the uh, the sort of long term pitch for the company was it had vertical integration. It wasn't exactly, you know, uh, as subject to a lot of the vagaries of the supply chain as other uh, auto manufacturers. It just seems like a lot of kind of small little um, little pinches and squeezes around the edges of the Tesla business right now that's going on, whether it is the, the safety stuff or the pushback uh, in China. And the stock kind of reflects that. It's, you know, 300 bucks off the high from January. Uh, and uh, that's not clear to me that this SEC thing is going to matter because apparently nothing happened. Right, David? I mean, it's not no. as if there was consequences. No. And or even I mean, was there any disclosure in, in Tesla filings that there was that SEC said they were in violation? Not that not I know clear, of. Not clear that that's, that yeah. was the case either. Yeah, he he sort of seems to stiff arm the SEC <laughs> successfully and kind of keeps running downfield. Yeah. Um, you know, the question, I mean, listen, we, I watched Phil LeBaum, I'm sure you guys all did this morning with uh, North American head of Toyota as they roll out um, their, new, uh, their new EV lineup in, in many ways. And, and, you know, it does get back to the larger economic uh, proposition in front of us right now, Mike, which is, I mean, there are nine days, he said, nine days from from the factory to somebody's garage or, yeah. and or uh, to, to the home. Uh, it's incredible. The consumer demand right now it would appear for automobiles. He's talking 17 million plus in terms yep. of stores. And uh, um, and that's if you can get them, because obviously we all know about the chip shortage and that has led to some slowdowns in production. Yeah. It's uh, back to the larger question that we do entertain here often and should, which is about inflation and just how hot this economy is running. Absolutely. Um, You know, the used car uh, influence on the inflation number last month. I mean, everyone talked about that, how it was just completely outsized. New cars obviously get dragged up along with that. I think that's one of those things that, that, you know, economists, investors can kind of put aside into the into the truly transitory bucket. It should be self-correcting. Um, you know, is Ford's production slowdown, which they've announced, is it going to kind of pinch, you know, GDP numbers for the next quarter? I don't know. It hasn't seemed like it's uh, it's going to. But all that stuff just shows you, um, Carl, it's a very kind of high friction economy right now for for goods uh, pretty much across the board. I know there was some data out there that, you know, supplier delays delivery times are as long as they've been in like 40 or 50 years uh, at this point in the ISM numbers. Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. David Rosenberg uh, this morning tweets uh, that uh, once the de- once the demand boom is over uh, and supply comes back on stream, the demand downturn guys will cause inflation to morph into deflation. And we have had, if you look at Umish, uh, Mike, three straight months of declining purchase intentions for cars and homes and appliances. And uh, I mean, to a large degree, that huge school of investors who hope that this becomes self-correcting. Right. I mean, there obviously was a pull forward uh, of a lot of activity. Even home building has has kind of rolled over a little bit from uh, extremely strong levels because of all these constraints. Uh, That has the knock on effects with appliances. So I do think we're in a little bit of a of a pause for uh, for a lot of that stuff that really went crazy, you know, last year. Yeah, guys, still a lot to get to. We're going to zero in on Zoom when we come back, getting a lift on some better than expected results and upbeat guidance, although the slimmest beat on revenue since COVID began. We'll look at what's ahead for the stock and the work from home trade when Squawk on the Street comes back. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Take a look at shares of Zoom video, uh, indicated up about a percent and a half, actually recovering from an after-hours uh, decline in the stock. The company posting better-than-expected revenue and issuing upbeat guidance, even as more people return to the office. Joining us now is Tyler Radke, software analyst at Citi. Uh, Tyler, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, good, thanks. Uh, you know, the big question surrounding this stock, a lot of the stocks like them that were huge beneficiaries last year is, uh, just exactly how much of a pull forward of demand, how much of their total eventual addressable market have they now gotten to, and what's the deceleration uh, going to be looking like, if any, uh, any clues in the numbers and the guidance uh, where you can now kind of handicap all those things? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think this is uh, uh, kind of the, the poster child of a, a tale of, of two years. I mean, Zoom had an unprecedented 2020 you saw growth uh, north of 300% year over year at a multi-billion dollar scale, essentially the fastest growing software company we've ever seen in history. Uh, if you look at the numbers for the back half of this year by Q4, that growth is expected to decelerate close to just 20% a year, which would put this in, in kind of a more 
of a um, you know a typical growth software company that you see like the likes of Salesforce or, or a Workday. And so you know our view is just that the the stock's multiple may have a hard time uh, correcting. Uh, you know, as growth slows down and this kind of moves from a hyper growth stock to more of a, a growth at a reasonable price stock. Right. So we're talking about a, you know, a stock that's still trading, depending on the number, 70 ish times um, times forward earnings. Where does it ultimately settle at and and how how quickly do you think it could grow into that valuation? Yeah, so I think that over time, investors are likely to triangulate on where this trades on on free cash flow. So if you just look at the forward free cash flow multiple. Zoom trades at around 60 times, a little north of 60 times. The Salesforce, ServiceNows, Workdays of the world, uh, th- those trade around 30 to 40 times. So we think that as growth decelerates, that that multiple may have to recalibrate, um, which is why we are neutral rated on the stock. You know, there's a lot of uh, of talk about, you know, that trying to create a next act for Zoom, uh, whether it's, you know, an app store or uh, or different products, uh, you know, the kind of the phone uh, solution. Uh, is any of that going to be moving the needle enough to, to change the overall story in terms of, you know, what just what's happening with the subscriber growth trends? Yeah, so there's definitely some interesting things going on at Zoom in terms of new products. You've seen Zoom phone. Uh, off to a really good start. They've announced a number of marquee wins with tens of thousands of seats. Very, very impressive um, results. But I think the challenge is this company is pretty big, right? I mean, we're talking about a $4 billion revenue base when new products are just starting off, almost no matter how successful they are, it just gets really hard to move the needle on a, on a company that big. Um, you know, we, we think Zoom Phone, while it is growing much faster than the overall uh growth rate of the company, we, we still think it's less than 5% uh, of the total company. So it just gets tough for those new products to, to move the needle. I know you also cover DocuSign, which seemed to be in a very similar category. In fact, the, the stock charts, you know, w- with Zoom, uh, you know, different magnitudes, but the exact same shape. So people seem to trade them as pure stay-at-home, work-from-home uh, type plays. How sensitive are they going to be to what we actually see in terms of the percentage of people going back to the office and, and intensive uh, usage of, of, uh, of, you know, work from home type solutions? I mean, I, there's some school of thought that says nobody's going to cancel uh, a Zoom subscription just because people are working three or four days a week in the office. Yeah. So I would say that despite the similar stock charts, that DocuSign is actually in a different camp than Zoom. I think as the world reopens and, and obviously kids go back to school and, and businesses return to in-person activity, um, you know, th- there is more risk that, that there is some elevated churn uh, among Zoom licenses. And I think just the increased demand levels that they saw last year essentially pulled forward a ton of uh, future growth. I think if you look at DocuSign, I don't know about you, but I, I don't look forward to signing paper-based agreements ever again, right? Um, I think that future is is here to stay. We're not going back to paper, where we may be going back to in-person meetings. And and DocuSign at, at their most recent analyst day, you know, essentially committed to growing at above COVID levels or above pre-COVID levels for the next three to four years. Uh, so I think there's just more sustainable growth drivers at DocuSign. Uh, you know, they like Zoom are, are kind of the leader in the category. Uh, but I just think there's still so many paper-based inefficient processes 
that um, can be digitized over the next several years as, as organizations pursue broader digital transformation. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Makes sense. And I know uh, I think you do have a, have a buy on, uh, on DocuSign, Tyler. Thank you very much uh, for your yeah. time this morning. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Take a look at futures this morning. Uh, despite the chop of the last few days, Dow's actually up seven of eight. And even uh, the small moves of the past few sessions have us at the highest level since May 10th. We're back in a minute. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Meat producer JBS expecting most of its plants to be functioning normally today. That follows the weekend cyber attack, which temporarily hobbled its operations. Eamon Javers joins us now with more. Eamon. David, we saw those operations really hobbled yesterday. They were down 22% in terms of uh, cattle production versus a week ago. So you can see the immediate impact that this cyber attack had. But now the CEO of the company is saying that things are going to get back to normal. Here's the statement from last night referring to getting back up and running today. The CEO saying, given the progress our IT professionals and plant teams have made in the last 24 hours, the vast majority of our beef, pork, poultry, and prepared food plants will be operational tomorrow, that is today, Wednesday. Uh, who's behind this? Well, a source confirms to me this morning that the group behind this hack is called R-Evil. They're a well-known Russian-linked hacking organization. Here's what we know about R-Evil. They hacked the Apple supplier Quanta computer a couple weeks back. They demanded a $50 million ransom in that case. They're made up largely of native Russian speakers, and they post their stolen dark documents on the dark website that they call Happy Blog. So they have something of a dark sense of humor about all of this. And law enforcement and intelligence know a lot about people who are in groups like this. This is video released by the National Crime Agency in Britain. These are alleged members of another hacking collective called Evil Corp. You can see them doing donuts in Lamborghinis and Audis in Moscow. This is how these hackers are spending their ill-gotten gains. This is what happens when American companies are sending this, these ransom payments to these hacking groups in Russia. This is Evil Core uh, doing donuts in Moscow back in 2019, video released by the British National Crime Agency, which said that this particular hacking group uh, was an enormous threat to the United Kingdom. So we see some uh, links between the criminal underworld and the Russian government, but it's not at all clear exactly to what extent Vladimir Putin controls these people, if he does, or if he's just allowing them tacitly uh, to operate inside his borders without prosecution, therefore you know, messing with the West in general terms. They're hitting our food supply, our fuel supply, as we've seen over the past couple of weeks. All of that now will be grist for the mill uh, for Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden in their summit in Geneva, which is coming up later this month. Uh, a lot to talk about at that meeting, Carl. Uh, indeed, uh, Eamon. It's uh, that this is quickly rising to the top of the agenda in, in so many ways. Uh, and we appreciate your coverage, of course, Eamon, all over it as usual on this uh, JBS story. Thanks. We'll take a break here. We'll get that opening bell in just under five minutes. Don't go anywhere. 
Keep your eye on Etsy today. The company uh, buying fashion reseller Depop for about $1.6 billion. Guys, it was interesting to listen to Josh Silverman on Squawk talk about uh, it's not the e-commerce market. It's the re-commerce market where things are sold secondhand, um, growing at a huge clip. And I guess, Mike, a huge draw for younger consumers. Yep. Um, I was just, just talking over here. I'm a, I'm a Depop household. I got two power users at home. Um, and it is all, you know, pre, pre-owned stuff. It's thrifted, uh, virtual thrift shop, and it's, to in, it's individual to individual. And what's interesting is when Poshmark uh, went public not that long ago, which is, you know, uh, somewhat similar, but more branded uh, stuff and newer stuff, uh, my teenage daughters were like, no, 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 that's for, that's for the old people. That's for millennials. Um, and so that this is that sort of uh, inroads into the current moment of uh, of wanting, you know, vintage stuff. Uh, somebody else's, uh, you know, the, the stuff from somebody else's closet, small ticket. Uh, interesting bid for by Etsy, though, because it does have that feel of like individual sellers uh, is really the theme. And they build their own brands. You, you know, interesting that that stock, they didn't use that, though, largely cash for this. Deal. Yeah. And we're paying over 20 times revenues. Sometimes you think maybe you'd want to use your stock, but. Carl, they, they cash is free too right now. Yeah, right? no, that's true. That's true. There's no doubt. <laughs> cash is it's not costing you a lot at this point. That that's a good point. Yeah, guys, there's the opening bell. Obviously, breadth at the open here. Um, interesting, Mike. You know, I, I, we haven't had a chance to circle back on the first hour of trade yesterday, where Dow popped 300. But I guess is that new month money that was just short lived. It was interesting. It was new month. Uh, also, I think it had something to do with the fact that overseas markets were open on Monday. They were all up uh, and you had this little bit of a catch up uh, at the open, just a, just a gap to, to maybe account for that. And what's interesting is it's been a pattern. I, I just saw some stats saying that over the last few days, the market has closed near its lows, you know, kind of in the low end of its daily range, very narrow range. And yet we're sitting here, you know, pretty much at all time highs within a percent of it. So it's a very unusual hovering act uh, that the indexes are doing. It's happening through a lot of that rotation. Some of the smaller uh, market cap sectors like energy up a lot. They have momentum. And yet, you know, the, the, the bigger market cap stuff isn't, isn't moving too much right now. So that seems to be uh, why we're in this uh, little bit of a, you know, uh, a pause mode uh, at the moment. So what, energy and financial sort of powering the broader market? They, on net, they have, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, materials has been an amazing momentum story, too, but it's really small. Right. Um, so we're talking chemicals and metals and things like that. And even that's kind of had a, taken a little bit of a rest. So it's hard to get um, clear on what the, the thematic direction is necessarily sector-wise. It's still value doing better than growth, but growth has bounced. I mean, the ARC funds bounce, and now everyone says, oh, they're up at, at a level where you have to sell them because it's just a bear market bounce. Um, so I think that's why uh, we're sort of caught in between a bit here, Carl. Yeah, um, it's a good point. I mean, one, one, one example, guys, is Visa, which for, I guess, a variety of reasons is the number one Dow component. It does remind me, though, the journal story in, in the paper today, David, uh, literally titled a business travel is coming back uh, talking to people who were anxious to get hot, to hop back on planes we probably should have asked the zoom analyst about it a moment ago but um that would obviously have few huge implications if and when it happens i know you've been net skeptical on that well again i mean they say business travel is coming back but then they also raise that question that i continue to raise which is but will it ever be back to what it was in 2019 and i think that that is still an open question. There is no doubt, as, as we've been saying, of course it is going to come back. Um, 
Many senior executives want people back in the office, and that seems to be a slower than expected process. Some are being a bit more strict about it. I think even, in fact, on Monday, you're going to have the likes of uh, Blackstone and Goldman and a number of the financial firms we know saying, you're back. You got to be back. Sorry, no summer from working from the Hamptons or wherever you might be. But others are being a lot more lenient. But when it comes to getting out on the road, yeah, no doubt. Um, if your competitor is going to see a client, you're going to see a client. But I still might have that question I brought up yesterday, of course, the idea of road shows, which are going to be a Zoom-based function now. Right. Uh, but as well, internally, do you really make the trip to see people that you might not ha- that you might have previously? Maybe it's not as much. So without a doubt, business travel coming back uh, and will come back. But will it ever be where it was in 2019 right. or how many years will it be before we see that? Yeah, that's the, that, that obviously is the question. I mean, a roadshow is, you know, it's so easy to do virtually. It, you know, you're going to read the prospectus. You're going to get a pitch deck. Um, but if you're if you're kind of Talking to a client and trying to figure out strategic stuff and trying to win a deal, that's probably a different equation. Yeah, and, and or there's a meal involved yeah, and or exactly. any number of them or, in my case, lots of tequila. That's, exactly. you know, that's yeah. harder to do. It's harder to do. <laughs> harder to do virtually. It, yes. I mean, people and, have done it, been doing it now well, for yeah. 15 months, but I think they prefer and are happy now, Carl, to finally be in person drinking their tequila with each other. Yes, Yes, and we're going to get there in the coming days as well. Um, you know, Goldman's got a note. They have this reopening index. They've had it for several quarters now. It's a, it's a barometer from 1 to 10, sort of describing at where the economy is in terms of reopening. It's been at a 6 for a long time, several, several weeks, and they finally went to a 7 uh, this morning, reflecting further reopening. But they do have a line in here, David. We believe corporate America will return to the office over the coming six months. Um, they've got some bullish notes here on office REITs. But notes like this have been colored by the fact that management at Goldman has been so vocal about bringing people back. They have. That is true. What's interesting as well, though, is there's a lot of resistance. There's still resistance to people coming back full time. And there's an expectation on the part of many employees that they will be able to work three days a week in the office, perhaps as much as four. But there will be more flexibility. And I I think we know that now. Um, Now, the financial companies that we know perhaps better than many others, because we know their management's quite well, Carl, I think are being a bit, some stricter than others, but perhaps overall stricter than many other corporations and many other businesses, Mike, where they don't feel the need to have everybody in the office all the time. And perhaps there isn't quite as much structure, or or I should say emphasis on culture. Exactly. I was just going to say that a company that really does kind of cultivate this sense that uh, that it is a distinct culture. Uh, also, where there's there's a P&L, you're allocating credit for various, you know, kind of revenue that comes in. It's a pretty intricate uh, situation in terms of grading folks and constant evaluation and compensation. Maybe it's better to do uh, in person. But I think also, Carl, there's been these surveys out there that say a huge percentage of especially younger workers say they would consider changing jobs and just leaving a company that said, you know, they, they couldn't work from home for the most part. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, all the cultural issues of onboarding and uh, and mentorship, uh, it, it's been it, it's it's definitely cloudy. But to David's point, uh, it does appear that we're going to see we expect to see a stair step in June and then hopefully another stair step uh, later in September. David, I think that's sort of where most people's heads are. Oh, by the way, subway ridership in New York has been lagging all sorts of other metrics. 
uh, it does show some incremental improvement. But in order to get Midtown working, you got to get people back on the train. And, yeah. you know, the other thing that in all of these different, you know, real time monitors of, of going back to the office or intentions to uh, to go back to normal, what's lagging is movie theater attendance. I mean, the number of people that say I'm good without going back uh, is, is actually still pretty high. So we can. You know, bring that right back around. There to, we go. To we AMC. Mike, we hadn't. It's almost seven minutes yeah. into trading. We hadn't even looked at AMC, which yeah. is up about twenty percent. They are going to be very focused, Carl. I think on F nine, not to uh, not to be the homer here, but of course it is a universal movie, mm-hmm. uh, and that is coming out a few weeks from now. I think, by the way, that is going to be globally a very. It's a very important event for the movie going public and and really seeing whether they're willing to come back, given the strength of this franchise. And so AMC itself as well, I would expect, will be very focused on that particular date, just in terms of seeing how many people it can get back in seats. Yeah, our parent company, of course, uh, has a couple of of big things riding on the summer. One, of course, is is, uh, movie distribution. There was a headline out of Reuters uh, today, David, that uh, in Japan um, there is further resistance to having the games. Uh, They're reporting on some workers uh, quitting in terms of volunteer work to host the games. But we own the U.S. media rights, and clearly Comcast is hoping that even with uh, the situation regarding health in Japan, that they they can somehow uh, hold these games in a safe and effective way. Certainly hope so and expect that that will be the case. But you're right. It's a very important um, it's a very important opportunity for NBC and all of its components. I think I'm not sure what we'll be airing, but, I, you know, viewership you'd expect would be quite high, even though, of course, there will be very few people actually watching in person. Uh, Carl Comcast shares for their part uh, down about a half a percent. You know, they got hit after the announcement of the um, of the AT&T discovery deal, or I should say the uh, Warner Media Discovery deal, now called Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, that new name. Uh, but it did get hit on the prospect that AT&T, frankly, will be more competitive. There's a look at the, uh, at the new logo. Um, that AT&T will be more competitive, Mike, in the wireless business overall. And Comcast yeah. shares did have a downdraft. They recovered somewhat and have been sort of hovering around this level of recent trading. Yeah, and and I guess just the also the the instinctive, like, you know, is anybody, is it going to move more chess pieces? Is somebody going to make a bid for something? But, yeah, the AT&T competitiveness issue is one that That was one, right? Your point, of course, is important as people always wonder, well, will will, as given the history of the company, will Comcast try to compete? As I sort of said, doesn't seem to be likely. Mike Cavanaugh in a presentation last week, I think it was J.P. Morgan's investment conference, indicated M&A is not, you know, is not something near term, at least, that people should be, Uh, thinking that the company is going to pursue. Um, But longer term, we are going to continue to see it. The the name that comes up most often, of course, with most questions is Viacom. There were some reports yesterday, you know, some of the parts. Could they actually sell Paramount? Is there, you know, given the MGM valuation? Who knows? But uh, but there is, Carl, that one is certainly the name that most people in media at least talk about, old media uh, talk about most often in terms of its future direction and the decisions that may need to be made there to compete with, obviously, these far larger companies at this point. Yeah. And of course, don't forget uh, Amazon, MGM. Amazon not moving a whole lot this morning, guys, although uh, there were a couple of uh, other uh, news items regarding the company. One is that they're going to stop testing their employees for marijuana use and even had a blog post last night saying that they will get behind efforts to legalize marijuana at the federal level, which I thought was interesting, David, along with, I guess, now an official um, announcement of Prime Day. And we know how material that can be to the quarter. 
Yeah, that's an important day. Um, and we'll all get ready for our various bargains that conceivable will be available. Listen, marijuana testing overall, you, you need as many workers as you can possibly get. I mean, that is not something that's typically taking place, I don't think, amongst many employers any longer. I can't speak specifically about it, but I do know that there were plenty that, you know, were unfortunately in a position where they could not have uh, employ somebody who tested positive. That's not happening yeah. anymore, especially with legalization. Yeah, efforts. it gets pretty, yeah. pretty dicey depending on what state you're in. It's legal. And, yeah. yeah, but it's interesting. Interesting that Amazon is going to actually lend its support to legalization fully, uh, which we are still waiting for. Uh, we being the industry and certainly people who follow cannabis closely, of course, in terms of federal uh, legalization, which is yet to happen, despite yeah. the fact, that, Carl, I don't know. Where are we in states? You keep pretty track. 17, something like that, right? I think we're about 15. 15. I think 15 is the last number I saw. Um, and clearly the companies are trying to position. You saw Martha Stewart with uh, Joe, Becky and Andrew uh, last week. I think it's with is an issue with Canopy, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but everybody's trying to get in place for um, some kind of move at the federal level. But I would argue, Mike, uh, the street is probably net skeptical that that happens in the near term, even with Schumer in the majority. Yes, for sure. I don't think uh, it's it's really priced in. I don't think it's it's imminent. Uh, it just seems like you know things are stacked up in front of. Uh, in front of Congress. And uh, it doesn't seem like it's got that clear a path just based on the breakdown uh, of, uh, you know, the Senate. So, uh, yeah, it's basically the stocks are basically trading on a state by state and, uh, and and decriminalization efforts, things like that. Yeah. So, again, CHOP continues. This is actually going to be the 10th day of alternating gains and losses for the NASDAQ, although we've been making a, a eventual or a slow progress to the upside. Let's get to Rick Santelli this morning. Hey, Rick. Good morning, Carl. Yes, the equity markets, you know, you blur your eyes. We're darn close to historic highs. And really, for the most part, it's been that way for a while. On the other hand, interest rates are reflecting more than just a barn burner type economy ahead loaded with inflation. As you look at this two-day chart, we're drifting lower in yield, higher in price. Therefore, there may be some issues there on the horizon that the Treasury market is paying attention to. Not so much all the stimulus, but maybe the debt where it was sourced from or the $6 trillion budget where the last six years averaged less than 2% GDP growth on the grand 12-year projections. All this may be into the Treasury complex. But one thing for sure, if we monitor something like inflation through the break-evens of tenure, meaning the relationship between nominal tenure yields and Treasury inflation-protected yields, the TIPS yields, you can see the chart there. Uh, and it starts, well, it starts on January 1st, 2020. I'm going to label that pre-COVID, okay? So you see that now we're at 247. It wasn't 180 pre-COVID, and the high is 257. The long and the short of it is, is that inflation has ramped up a bit, as evidenced by this metric, and it hasn't come down very much. Now, if we look at something like lumber prices, because they figure so prominently in things like the pricing of homes, let's also start pre-COVID, January 1st, 2020, and let's take that first metric out to the highs in lumber that were May 7th. And you can see that little box there. It was up 315% on the highs. Now, if we look at where it is today and open the chart up, well, yesterday it closed at 212% higher than January 1st, 2020, labeled as pre-COVID. The point there is, yes, we've made some nice progress, but we're still over 200% higher than where we started. So if you're trying to handicap how interest rates are going to affect the economy and inflation, uh, even though the picture might have 
come down a little from the worst inflation levels post-COVID, we're still definitely significantly higher than where we started. Carl, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you very much, uh, Rick Santelli. When we come back, uh, speaking of rates, bank stocks have tripled the performance of the S&P this year. J.P. Morgan, Goldman, Morgan Stanley, all near record highs. We're going to talk with the CEO of KBW about what's next for the rally in financials in a moment. Bank stocks pulling back a bit today after what has been a recent surge. The KBW Bank Index touched a yearly high yesterday. It's up about 75 percent over the last 12 months. Let's bring in Tom Michaud. He's CEO of KBW. That's a Stiefel company. Tom, always good to have you. Uh, you've been positive. You've been right. I've pointed that out a number of times. You know, how much of your current case is, is predicated on the yield curve continuing to steepen? Well, first of all, good morning and great to be with you again. Uh, well, let me tell you how we got here. We got here because the credit impairment story did not happen. And we got here for precisely what you just said, is that we have a steeper yield curve. We have higher rates. Um, and, and that's helped the, the, the bank stocks rebound. When you look at the bank stocks today, we are only in line with historical averages and where they were pre-COVID. Even though the stocks have had the big move that you just mentioned, they're not at egregious or, or highly valued levels. So, you know, our opinion is that what, what you need to have happen now is you'll have the, the, the bank earnings need to accelerate as economic activity continues to build. And we think that the bank stocks are a good place to be if inflation concerns continue to grow and we do get higher rates or a steeper curve. All right. And you do ex- you do expect economic activity to to increase, I would assume. And then you therefore expect it to be reflected in the results that we're going to see from the banks. That's right. So we've had really there hasn't been a lot of revenue growth outside of the, the big investment banks with regards to core banking activity. But but we're looking for the early signs. So we recently have had several bank conferences in some of the states where, where they reopened earlier. So, for example, we just did a Texas virtual field trip. The Texas banks are talking about accelerating growth. We're hearing about that in parts of the southeast. We think that now that as all these states have opened up, you're going to see loan growth and economic activity continue to build. And we think that's going to be a positive for bank earnings, uh, bank earnings going forward. And so what we have in our models is we have a reemergence of loan growth in the fourth quarter. Personally, I don't believe that that's the key driver for bank stocks, because I think it's a matter of when, not if. You will see this loan growth begin to pick up. And what's also different this time is that bank balance sheets have a record amount of liquidity on them. So when rates do start to go up, we expect net interest margins to widen. And we think that's going to have a really bullish impact on earnings per share. Tom, uh, somewhat bigger picture. If we look at how the various fintech companies, payment companies are valued in the stock market, you know, Square and PayPal together, not much smaller than J.P. Morgan market cap wise right now. What's implicit in that in terms of how much of the bank's traditional business gets eaten or challenged? And and what are your bank clients doing, if anything, to try and, uh, you know, forestall that position against it? Well, so first of all, I think this is going to be one of the most exciting stories to talk about the next couple of years. This trend was in place pre-COVID, and then COVID accelerated it all. So I think that the gap between the winners and losers in banking is going to widen. Um, you've, you've heard me say it before. I think some of the best fintech companies in the world 
are Bank America and J.P. Morgan, for example, very sophisticated organizations. In other cases, we see other banks adopting many of the digital approaches. They're working hard on their expense base. They're using less branches to make themselves more efficient. So I think that every bank is going to have to figure out where they fit into this. And banks that don't think that they can get there alone, that's another reason for consolidation. And we've seen an acceleration of consolidation recently in the banking industry. And part of the reason is we've got a low revenue growth environment right now, even though we think it's going to change. And banks know that they need to stand up more in terms of digital investment, because that is the future. So, So we research all those companies that you just mentioned. I don't think that technology, that the end story is going to be it disrupted and took away from the bank industry. I think it's going to be some banking industry members decided to to join with these fintech companies, and then they both jointly succeeded. And then some banks that don't participate do have a chance of being left behind, in my opinion. Tom, always appreciate hearing that opinion. Appreciate you uh, joining us as well. Thank you. Terrific. Great. Thank you. Just about uh, 20 minutes into the trading day, uh, we do have uh, energy and information technology leading, although we're hanging in there, churning uh, around that 4,200 number, about 10 points above. We're back in a moment. I have an old saying that I learned uh, years ago. Either you make dust, that is, you buy the stock, eat dust, that or you short it right now, or get out of the way. We don't own this, but we have a conference tomorrow our 13th annual meter and entertainment. We have markets showing up. We have Reading showing up. And we'll have other theater chains uh, looking. And so we can look at companies and see what they think about the, the revenues at the box office. So that's it. That's Cabelli on Squawk this morning talking about <laughs> how you trade around AMC, uh, Mike, which I guess is now, I don't know, with the market cap above GameStop, is it the new meme king? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for the moment. Um, I mean, obviously, GameStop's still well below that momentary high a while back. You, know, you have a similar theme where GameStop, a lot of insiders did plenty of selling before the ramp. Uh, so now you see AMC, some insiders just feeling like the stock's gone uh, far enough, taking on something of a life of its own. And, uh, and now, you know, offering uh, what? What's a large popcorn worth? Ten bucks? So that's your bonus for you know being a shareholder uh, on the first movie of the summer, Carl. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to talk a lot more about uh, how they're leaning into the Reddit uh, community. With uh, talk more about Adam Aaron uh, working to whip up this new investor online investor base. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.